Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Just like that, the second hour is here for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Hope everyone's having a great Monday. Coming up, we've got plenty of coverage in the world of college football with name, image, likeness, recruiting, transfer portal, and so much more. Uh, Josh Newberg of On3 will join us. We'll talk Deion Sanders in Colorado and everything in between. Uh, Andrew Felty from Yeehaw Brewing Company will be in studio with us. We'll give a toast to what is the craft brewing conference that's taking place right here. Have so many different people from honestly, uh, across the country and globally that have flown in for this conference. And uh, it's all Yeehaw Park. This is not uh, like uh, an insurance conference in terms of personalities. No. The craft beer conference is quite lively. They, That's what we can see in the bar room right now. For instance, they have the top producing barley company in the world, and they've sent like 30 people here. That's nuts. And we'll, we'll get into all the different craft beers that are on tap for Yeehaw Brewing. Uh, and Rich Rubin covers USC and the Trojans, who landed Bronny James. He'll be with us in hour number three. Uh, that's in about an hour and a half from right now. Chad, did you watch the Kentucky, the Kentucky Derby live? I was watching F1 yesterday. Um, and prior to that, we were uh, doing some things on the family farm on Saturday. I missed the Derby live, went back on YouTube and watched it. Uh, but it was seemed like a very entertaining race for everyone involved. Yeah, I was at uh, actually walking through the bar area at Smith and Walensky Steakhouse in New nice, York City nice. and watched uh, the 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 Derby, the the entirety of it right there on the walk back to the to the table. Um, look, the talk around the Derby, the the death of the horses and seven it's, of them. Yeah, it's not that's not good, and they've got to figure out a way if there is a way to help with that. No doubt about it. Um, I also think it's absurd to immediately go to, and Deadspin has done this and some other ones, that this bad thing happened, so it must end. The Kentucky Derby needs to be no more. It's terrible, and don't do it. This is one of the biggest sporting events in the country every year. Over 16 million people watch the Kentucky Derby on Saturday. It gets monster ratings every year. The spectacle of it is very cool to watch. We have a very young country compared to Europe and places around the world. This is one of the older traditions in our country from a sports perspective that still holds up. In my opinion, when you watch it, it feels like a big event, even in a sport that is not nearly as big as it once was in American culture. And we all know the reasons for that. And maybe the death of horses is one of those reasons. But I also don't think that because there's some tragedy with horses on one weekend, and this happens, and it's talked about a lot, that, that the immediate response should be, well, shut it down and don't do it again. Let's stop the Kentucky Derby. That's just not the answer, in my opinion. I think it's absurd to argue otherwise, and Deadspin's arguing that, and some others have as well. I think it's ridiculous. I love the Kentucky Derby, and uh, I, I love the race on Saturday. I think you can believe both. 
that, hey, it's sad to watch these beautiful animals and one of them die, tragically, because of horse racing, while also respecting the sport and what it takes with these trainers and owners and everyone else and the scene around the sport, especially with the Kentucky Derby and the levels of pageantry you see. I saw everything with the coronation over the weekend, and everybody said, oh, you just don't get this type of pageantry you know, in America. And I'm thinking, have you watched a college football game? Um, there are spring games that get this much pageantry at times, I feel well, like, that I saw in the coronation. Certain head coaches that have more power than... And maybe, maybe it's, uh, <laughs> what they, it's, it's very what much a, a southern thing when it comes to that with college football and also the Kentucky Derby and the spectacle of that race. You know what intrigues me about but the I Derby? But I enjoy it every year. It's the same broadcast every year. They're showing us how to make the, the mint julep, the $3,500 glass. They really it, don't freshen it up it's much. It's the same thing every single year. Uh, but I do want to give props to Mike Tirico because I did see in the lead-up and the build-up where he's bringing it out of breaks. We're less than two hours away from the running of the Kentucky Derby. And you're thinking, man, I've been watching this already for two hours, so we're going to get this show on the road. But he brought it back, and he dove straight in on the issues of horse health and safety. And they went to the, I believe Forte was the name of the horse, where it, he, he winced when they were looking at a bruised foot because he stepped on a rock. I do think they're erring in the side of caution, but honestly, they're erring in the side of caution this year because they euthanized five horses in the build-up to the race that were preparing for the race and two more on race day that were racing in other uh, events that day. Um, that's why that they were taking the utmost precautions in that specific moment. And with so much money involved and so much on the line for the what's invested, I would say that behind the scenes, these owners are running these horses, not the opposite. And that's, that's really where it comes down to knowing what is and is not good for the animal based on the event and what, what you're trying to win, which is, I mean, you're putting the horse out to stud if he wins automatically. It's a windfall. And I, I, I understand where people come from on our, it, is it really, is it really behind the scenes what they say it is or is it not? And my guess is it's not, well, but, and, but, and but we pack the stands every year and it's the same broadcast every year. And it's more about the hats and the mint and juleps than it is, you know, one day out of the year, which is today reacting to the race that causes controversy because media outlets are calling for it to be canceled. It is odd that, well, first off, you know, let's say horses are commodities. Sure. You know, they're traded and sold like commodities, just like uh, beef cattle and pigs, you know, all over the world and all over America. Mm -hmm. So let's call it what it is. And people that are buying these horses are choosing to race them based on breed, based on stock, based on ability. Um, we could get into the ethics of that or if that's right or wrong. PETA's going to be very hard line on, on one side of it. I think the truth probably lies in the middle. I do think it's a fascinating question that so many of these trainers and owners, they know more about horses and respect and love horses more than almost anyone on the planet, yet they are the ones choosing to do something with the horses that probably could, that definitely could shorten their lives. At least it ups the percentage of and that they're happening. they're facing pressure of making sure right. they make the race. Instead of just buying the horse and having a conservatory and letting them roam and you know uh, just 
roam the land and, and live as hey, long as they can, you know, this is what they decide to do with them. And some of it's just it's a, a fractured. It's a, it's a fascinating question to ask about that and the morality of it. But I don't think that the answer is, well, horse racing must go away and you must end the right. Kentucky Derby yeah, I agree. because of these questions. Uh, but And some of it is just unpreventable, I would think, based on a fractured front left leg that takes place in turn three of the track of one of the early races, right, the prelims. Uh, not saying that every incident is, is created the same, but, I mean, it, the fact that NBC is showing the shot of the horse wincing at the bruise and thinking like, oh, they prevented something bad. Like, oh, this is not... They prevented the eighth horse from being euthanized today. I mean, that, that's the PR aspect of what they're doing. And it wasn't even with the Derby. It was with, what, the 4 p.m. or 3.30 yeah, race. Yeah, well, they had the Kentucky Oaks on Friday, which are sure. you know a bunch of other races that they have all day. So th that is a clear distinction. It's not just the main Kentucky Derby race that we all watch that 16 million people watch on NBC. You're going to be watching races all throughout the day leading up to the Derby, and then the day before, the Kentucky Oaks is almost equally as big in terms of the amount of races that you have. So it's an odd network and sort of a strange world. I, I get that. The whole horse racing world and the money involved the and everything else. I've not. I've been to Churchill Downs on a tour, but never been to the actual Derby. But it's, it's, and, not, uh, well, it's not grounds to end the event. Well, let's also say this, too. Um, it's a story because it's the Kentucky Derby on the path to a triple crown. If this takes place at other tracks throughout the year, it's not a front page headline. Yeah, but it's, real it's the sports Monday. on HBO will do a piece on it and show you how many died, other yeah, races they, and everything else. But Saturday they ran 14 races, and it's a Monday headline because of it being the Derby at Churchill. And, and I'm not trying to downplay the fact that it, it sometimes can be cruel. I'm just simply saying that it's not headline-worthy for the same media outlets on a random Thursday in July. What was the uh, – I mentioned Real Sports on HBO. What was the – Luck was the name of the show on HBO. They had to end after one season. It was about horse racing because so many horses died the, in, in the making in of the show. And it got such bad press that they had to end. I'm pretty oh. sure Dustin Hoffman was in the show. And it was a show on HBO lasted one season called Luck. And horses were dying was, on set, so they ended the show. I asked my sister this recently. Has Kevin Costner been in a movie – Um. Well, he, he has. Has he been? Has he been in a film where eighty percent of the time, eighty percent of the films he's he starred in, or a show where a horse has not been present? Um, Non-baseball division, because he's been in a number of baseball movies where there's no horses. But would that count as twenty percent of his total catalog? That's a good question. I'm trying to think on top of my head. The Bodyguard. There's no horse. Maybe there's a, a cop on a I horse mean, he was at in some Hatfield point. And the McCoys. He's riding horses around. You know. Yeah, on a three-part miniseries there's, for History Channel. There's a lot. I've I've listened you need to an interview. On horseback. It's Kevin. Gosser. I've listened to an interview with him, and he has talked about. I'm amazed that playing baseball as a kid so much, and learning to ride horses at his grandparents' house or wherever in California they'd go to, would come in handy as an actor as much as it has. That he can just competently play baseball, and ride horses, and that's been a big part of his career. Um. Davey Hudson's over there laughing because he's thinking of, I think you should leave uh, the show and the, the horses involved. Uh, speaking of uh, That's an amazing, Yellowstone. amazing reference and a great show if you haven't checked it out with Tim Robinson. Yellowstone with, uh, with Deion Sanders in the white hat and Colorado spring game. Chad, the, 
The amount Deion Sanders will not be in the sequel to Yellowstone after this show ends, apparently, in November. The amount of coverage. Just the spring game was insane, right? Yeah. Compared to last year. And then two weeks <laughs> removed. Did they have a spring game last year? They did. Well, I it was saw, coming out I mean, for Carl Durrell's spring it game. It could have been just an autograph signing and a parade, but I have, I mean, that's a great They probably one. did a closed door, like indoor yeah. scrimmage afterwards and just had yeah. some autographs. It was, a, it was for, a visitation service. For season ticket holders. Hey, if you want to bring your kid out, if they think we're important, they can get an autograph. That's for about the season. It. it was a wake for the season <laughs> that was about to kick off. Colorado has had 71 players enter the portal since last August. Now, not all of that, of course, is. Dion induced but when you think about Boulder Colorado and the players that were there versus the players that are now by gone uh, Dion went in and said hey we're you know we're changing out the Hondas for the Maseratis peace and you're either with us or you're not and by the way it's not up to you we're going to tell you if we want you to stick around it's it's remarkable like I don't know of another program that has this amount of, of, of everyone packing up and leaving campus that it somehow feels like it's a great PR move for the coach like Dion can pull off. And it all starts with his initial comments to the team. Is there, a, I mean, if, if Saban walks in to, uh, after Michigan State, he walks in with LSU and he's like, Hey guys, uh, all but nine of you are might as well just pack up and leave. It's a much different story than Dion going to Colorado, a one-win team, and saying uh, you're playing college football at the top level. Uh, no longer, the vast majority of you don't deserve to be here, and I'm bringing everything at Jackson State with me. Um, it, it it it's almost like a positive story for him in a weird way. There is a flip side to this. I think this is what you're sort of leading to here. And there's a flip side of this story that's not being reported or talked about yet. That I'm going to go back to an HBO reference. There is an HBO Real Sports piece that's going to go down, that's going to interview all of these guys who were mistreated by Dion, told to leave, and then weren't given practice footage but then to try were. to transfer. Then they were. Well, they, they were after pressure. After a week of it, yeah. Yeah, from the school. I mean, they had to pressure Dion well, into doing it. But let me look at it. So, so this is but where... But I'm saying that there is a flip side. To, I but, mean, I, I'm with you. It's all been positive about Dion. I'm not saying he's totally in the wrong or any of that, but he is 1,000% in the wrong to cut someone and then not give them their footage. But, but hang on. To I, transfer somewhere. But the, the last... It was, so if he's... Let's just hypothetically say he's a junior. So the two previous years of practice footage with Carl Durrell don't help the player. But the coaches that are recruiting the guy want to see what Dion's doing in practice, formationally. So, let, hey, I'd love to see that practice footage. Can you send that to me so it'll help you if we, we, we'll take a look at your, your skill set? They want to see practice footage but not game footage from last year? Like, Dion doesn't care if Carl Durrell's practice is shown to another team for a guy that's not going to be on his roster. If I'm Dion, I, this is where I feel strange. I, if it's a, a number of different coaches, I'm ripping them to shreds over this. But I honestly don't blame him for not wanting to show well, what he's doing not, in practice. A lot of these guys weren't playing in games, but I'm got, sure. But he, well, so he's they're, look, they're guys. It's not just his year. I, I don't think they would allow Colorado property of footage even under Carl. There were guys complaining that practices under Carl Durrell that he wouldn't, they couldn't get the footage. They didn't even practice for Dion. They were cut before spring practice started, and he wouldn't give over the footage. But that's wrong on Dion. But, but based on but based on what Primetime has said when he walked in there is, uh, 
whatever you guys were doing is not good enough. I, I don't even know if, if Dion watched that practice. But again, it. that's totally fine to say that and do it if that's your stance. But if that's the case, well, let me go play at Northern Colorado. Yeah. The coach there wants to see my practice footage. Agreed. Come off of it. You're claiming and this is Colorado property and I can't have it. You can't have it both ways. I'm just saying there, I, I'm, there is I'm a, way more on Dion's side if he's doing all this while also saying we will help you go wherever you want. We are saying you're not good enough here, but you did sign scholarship papers to come to Colorado. Right. This is where you wanted to go. Our staff here will help you go wherever you want and give you whatever you need. Good luck along the way. you got to take that approach also. Because and, ultimately that, that may affect his recruiting if, if people can start pointing to things like that with him. It's not going to be in the beginning because yeah. he's got that new car, shiny smell, and it's going to be fine. But if more and more of this happens, it will become an issue. 47 players in the portal since April 15th. And that is insane. I know. I know. And, and look, I'm not trying to give Dion every benefit of the doubt. But I'm not doing that for the other coaches either. Um, there are coaches who will absolutely use a player to get practice footage. Like, hey, man, send, send what you were just doing. Let me see how much you've improved year to year. And only doing it just to see what they're working on with Shooter Sanders at Colorado compared to what they know at Jackson State. With the players around him there versus who they're keeping and who they're bringing in. I don't doubt that for a minute. I also and, and, don't doubt that coaches are way too paranoid <laughs> about these things. I mean, if Deion Sanders is doing something in a practice in the spring of year one that by his own accord, he says these guys aren't good enough to play there, so they're probably going to go down a level and not even be a factor against Colorado and what he's building anyways, if he's really that nervous about someone getting a hold of some practice footage that's going to you know, damn his program, I don't, I don't necessarily buy that either. Dion's in the wrong with that. I mean, he's been right well, about a lot of things, but he's in the wrong with that. And but the last guess I, how I know he's in the wrong with that? The school made him come off that stance after a week of getting hit hard. And he had the, access and, to it. Yeah. yeah. And he had in, in the player that was a fullback or um, linebacker. Yeah, someone's probably going to go to Montana State, right? Yeah. I well, mean, yeah. and that's fine. Like, they and get to go get play it. somewhere, yeah. yeah. Josh Newberg's about to join us from on three. He's the national host, and we'll, we'll discuss Colorado and Dion. Uh, biggest transfer portal acquisition this offseason, who would that be? We'll ask that question to Josh and more. That's next on Hot Mike. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One of the best when it comes to national recruiting, name, image, likeness, transfer portal, and more is Josh Newberg of On3 Sports, who joins us now here on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Josh, great to have you back on the show, man. Chad and I were discussing the mass exodus of Colorado players under Deion Sanders, uh, well, less than a year now since taking the job, upcoming on his first season. How would you describe the last couple of months of Deion Sanders as the new head coach of Colorado? 
Ooh, <laughs> kind of all over the board, but at the end of the day, much needed. I think you got to take your medicine early if you're Colorado. You're coming off of a one-win season, and what is this program without Deion Sanders? You know, they're going to kind of muddle along at the bottom of the Pac-12. Well, with the signing of Deion Sanders, one of the biggest transfer portal acquisitions himself, you have a sold-out spring game, you have an overturned roster. And you have eyes from coast to coast watching what the Colorado Buffaloes are doing right now. And really, that's what he wants right now, currently. Who's replacing these guys? Like, all these players oh are out. They've got to fill the team. They've got, what, nine scholarship players, Chad? We were discussing this. Like, where, where are they versus where they'll be whenever we actually kick off the season? Well, we've seen the purge. Now we got to see the binge, right? We saw the players, we saw the mass exodus, and we've seen some players come in. We've seen probably more than half of what they're going to take in the transfer portal, but it starts and stops with what he brings from Jackson State and Shador Sanders. In this day and age of college football, I think Shador Sanders is the most important transfer that Colorado brought in this offseason because the quarterback position really dominates the game right now. And if Shador Sanders can come in and be a top two or three quarterback in that conference, it's really going to boost their record from last year because we all know it starts and stops at that quarterback position. I keep thinking of the movie Necessary Roughness uh, with this first year. You know, where they're going to yeah. have like a 35 year old quarterback and bring in a bunch of scrap heaps to come in and, and try to make a team. But look, that well, you're, they you're, did. Go ahead. They Josh. did bring in Travis Hunter. I mean, you know, Travis yeah. Hunter's far from off the scrap heap. They did bring in some quality guys, but I do, to your point, think that a lot of the guys they did bring in are backups. Yeah, and and I bring that reference up because that's obviously not going is the that's not the end goal. What we're seeing this year is not the end goal for Deion Sanders. Mm-hmm. And Josh, you had mentioned having to kind of sit through this early portion of it. Ultimately, does he want to be a developmental program where he's bringing in? a higher percentage of high school recruits? Or is this going to kind of be the mantra similar to Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss where their biggest recruits every year is going to come through the transfer portal and not just necessarily in year one? That very well could be the case, but I don't think that we'll ever see, maybe ever at any other program, but especially at Colorado, I don't see think we're going to see the turnover that we see in year one. I don't think that Deion Sanders, who – When you really look at what he's preaching, a lot of his values and a lot of his teachings are kind of old school mentality, but wrapped up in a in a different form of his presentation with it all. But I don't think Deion Sanders wants to turn over the roster every year. I think he needed to turn over this roster and it was a low risk move, right? They won one game last year. So if you turn this roster over and say it was an eight or nine win team and you fall to five or six wins. There's a lot of risk in that, but winning one game last year, it doesn't leave a lot of risk to turn over and kick out as many guys as you can and bring in as many, because, Hey, if you go out and win three games or four games, you're really doing better than you did last year. Ultimately, can Deion Sanders at Colorado make this what he wants to make it in terms of strategy and how they're going to go after players? An example would be if you're a top 15 or 20 program, you can pick what you want to do hey, we're going to go get all of our guys in high school. We're not going to bring that many transfers in. Or we're going to go raid the transfer market every year. But when you're Colorado, you don't always have that choice. But with Colorado, with Deion Sanders, do they have that choice to be selective in how they go about this? 
You know, I view this year at Colorado as a big science experiment, and I'm not the only one that views it this way. I think all of college football, especially coaches and these new GMs and and people that are strategizing behind the scenes, I think they're watching to see how this works because we've never seen anything like this in terms of roster turnover. But the one variable in the science project that I don't know if every school has, not every school has a Deion Sanders somebody that can do what he's doing. Now, whether or not it's going to be successful, we'll see at the end of the science experiment. But to your point, the question, I think a lot of people would want to know, is this sustainable? Is this something that he can do again? Is it going to be successful? I think at the end of the year, we'll all sit down. A lot of different perspectives are looking at this. And I think we'll talk a lot about what's gone on at Colorado over the last three months. Josh Newberg with us on three national host uh, joins us on hot mic with Hutton and Withrow on the outkick network. Josh is, are the players banging down the door of Deion Sanders in Colorado, the way it's perceived to be going on within the portal, or is it way different? I think it's different. I think if you follow the Colorado barstool account and those, some of these fan sites that are kind of making memes and getting all excited about it, I understand their excitement. I understand where, a Colorado fan has really come out, you know, rose from the ashes like a phoenix <laughs> with the arrival of Deion Sanders. But hold on a little bit. If you take a, a look deeper at a lot of the players that he's acquiring, a lot of these guys are not on the two deep. A majority of the players that he's able to acquire in the transfer portal are leaving their current program because maybe they're right on the fringe of that second or third or fourth spot on the roster, but they're not starting. And I think that's where guys are looking for the opportunity at Colorado to go in and start. They know that Deion Sanders has gotten rid of a lot of players. The opportunity to play is there. I don't think I'm not saying that these guys are bad players. I just think in terms of starting line caliber players, a lot of the ones he signed are unproven. Obviously, USC recruiting at a very high level right now. When you look around the Pac-12, I know a lot of concern is with that television contract, the one they don't have right now. But are there programs that are legitimately worried that's at the top of the Pac-12 about Colorado yet? I'm talking Oregon, Washington, USC. Are they concerned with what's going on at Colorado? Or is it just sort of a a pesky fly at this point? Yeah, I've talked to some coaches behind the scenes. And I don't think, I I wouldn't say there's concern. Being a pesky fly, yeah, maybe. Uh, not just yet. I mean, every like I said, everybody has one eye on Colorado and what that program's doing. But until Dion can get in there and start winning ball games and start signing four and five star recruits, now he did a good job when he arrived. But this is the first cycle, and the game's got to be played this fall. We'll see what he ultimately ends up with on signing day, and then we'll see if the Pac-12 coaches are concerned. But for right now, no, I, I wouldn't describe it as concern. I noticed a couple guys in the portal going from Dion's alma mater, Florida State, to Colorado. Florida State, a program that's got the power to not just be a pesky fly to anyone. Are they becoming more than that right now with their recruiting and what they've been able to accomplish, Josh? I think that's a good example of some of the hype that's gone down. If you, if you take a deeper look into what Florida State has lost, Really, the only player that was on the two deep was defensive edge Derek McClendon. Uh, Brendan Gant, while he's a while he's a good special team player and can get in and get some reps. I mean, he was always a tweener for Florida State at linebacker or safety. I think at the moment he switched positions so many times he was probably a backup linebacker. But for the most part, Bishop Thomas, the guy that they landed over over the uh, weekend, 
He didn't play his senior year of high school. He redshirted his first year at Florida State, was kind of buried on the depth chart. Now he's still young. I'm not saying that Florida State gave up on him, but the guys that they're getting, like I said, I think the best word to describe it would be unproven. Among the transfer portal from last year, I think of Ole Miss and how they could retool instead mm-hmm. of have to rebuild. Is Auburn that team? Is Auburn capable of being that team with Hugh Freeze? I haven't heard much about what they've done. I do know they're top ten in the rankings. What's fifth or sixth right now in overall transfer portal rankings for the, the colleges across the country? I think Auburn could use the transfer portal as a major stepping stone because Auburn's been down and they haven't been good on offense. But with Hugh Freeze coming in with the whole new offensive scheme and bringing in pieces from the transfer portal, it's hard to say where exactly Auburn's going to fall. But if they can use it as a stepping stone, do better and improve than on what they did last year, I think the transfer portal could become very fruitful for them with a new coach and a new outlook and everything like that happening at Auburn. They're already showing that they're having some success. Now they just need to put it all together, and it's a tough SEC schedule ahead of them. When you see the level of talent that's now on Texas's roster and what Steve Sarkeesian has done in recruiting, what is a realistic expectation for Texas this year, and how much pressure is on Steve Sarkeesian to reach or exceed that expectation? I think we talk about that all the time here at On3 on just what Texas's expectations are because with great recruiting comes loftier and higher expectations. But at a program like Texas, how could the expectations get any higher? Well, they're jumping to the SEC. So, yes, the expectations are higher. But what I think when I get to Steve Sarkeesian and his uh, tenure at Texas is what he's going to do with Arch Manning. I think – The signing of Arch Manning probably bided him a little bit of time with the patience that the Texas administration and the Texas fans are going to give him. Because, look, he was able to land him. As it looks right now, they they signed him, but it doesn't look like he's going to start for Texas. So you're always going to have that little carrot dangling if USC kind of starts to slide. Well, he still has Arch Manning, and and then it'll be up to the Texas administration. Are they going to trust Arch Manning with Steve Sarkeesian? If he struggles a little bit this year, are they going to want to bring somebody in? So I think Texas expectations are at an all-time high. I don't think anything less than a conference championship or competing for a spot in the playoffs is going to save Sark's job in year three. Josh Newberg with us from On3 Sports. Which player in the portal, based on his one decision, made the biggest impact of the offseason for their team? Well, since I already said Shador Sanders, I won't use him again. Uh, let's stick at the quarterback position and I'll go Sam Hartman. I think at Notre Dame, bringing in a guy like a Sam Hartman is a power move. It's showing that you're looking to play for a, a championship. You're looking to play to make a run in deep into the playoffs because quarterback drives the, the position. It drives the game right now. And I think Sam Hartman was probably the biggest pickup in the transfer portal this offseason. So looking at the on three sports industry ranking, the football team rankings for next year, for 2024, a huge shock, I know, to everyone that follows college football to hear that Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama are one, two, and three right now. Those are the teams that are the usual suspects. Florida Mm -hmm. at number four, though, right now, Mm, Josh, after a very bumpy season uh, for Billy Napier in year one, a bumpy offseason also. Uh, We talked about expectations at Texas what does Billy Napier need to do this season to guarantee that he brings in the hall that he's assembling right now so they can start to really build things up with the Gators? 
I think eight wins is is key for Billy Napier to to really start building and closing the gap because even though they finished number eleven last year in recruiting, that's not good enough if you're going to compete with Georgia, if you're going to compete with LSU, if you're going to compete with Alabama, you can't be afford to finish eleventh in Billy Napier's first year. So this year they're at number four, doing really well, addressing a major need at quarterback with Texas four star DJ Lagway and two elite running backs and two elite linebackers. So that foundation. For Florida's class is really strong. They just got to power through the summer. And no matter what happens in the summer, it's going to come down to what Florida does on the field. Because in year one, the recruits kind of give you a pass. They give you, there's a little bit more hope and optimism, no matter what you do on the field. But I think this year, Billy Napier needs to go out and win seven, eight, and push it to nine games to really start closing the gap on the bigger SEC powers. Man, that is a steep hill. And they, they had the fourth overall pick. The highest of Florida quarterback has been drafted in Anthony Richardson. And they have Graham Mertz trying to climb the ladder at six and six to nick eight or nine wins. I just don't I don't think we get there this season with Graham Mertz at quarterback. Maybe Miller catches fire and they go back and forth between the two, but they, even that's not a great remedy for what you're saying. Right. No, I, I fully agree. I mean, you lost to Vandy with the number four quarterback in the country. Javon Dexter was a first or second round pick. Osiris Torrance went in the second round. Mm-hmm. You had three guys that went in within what the first 50 picks of the draft. Yes. Yep. And to think that you're going to do even better this year by bringing in Graham Burns and Memphis's backup defensive tackle and a couple other guys from the portal. I don't think Florida, when you, when we talked about Colorado's purge and we said, Oh, well, if they had a big purge, they better appreciate their binge. I think when you look at what Florida lost between NFL graduation and, and transfer portal compared to what they brought in, I think it's a major net loss. I don't think they backfilled the talent that they had last year. Is the the system that Dabo is using in the offseason sustainable in today's college football landscape? How is he doing this to where we're not even mentioning Clemson at all when it comes to the portal and acquisitions and if this guy is going to help them out? It's been guys that have been recruited out of high school and if they take another official visit peace out uh you're you're not wanted here i i don't know how he continues to try to preach that message to the congregation of college football yeah when you guys sent me over the show nights and wanted to talk winners and losers of the transfer portal i was thinking well where does clemson fit in because they're not even playing the game yeah so again when we talk about science experiments i think clemson is a science experiment what's dabo how is it going to look when we take a bigger sample size of maybe five or six years after we see a whole class has come through without using the transfer portal. And like you said, he also has the rules about recruits taking official visits. He'll cut you loose if you take an official visit and you're committed to Clemson. All of that sounds like leverage moves to me. They sound like moves that are effective when you're winning at the highest level. Now, Clemson's still winning, but they're not winning at the highest level. So maybe now Dabo needs to try kind of change his strategy because those rigid rules and policies might not work when you don't have the leverage. Well, I think they, they lost, correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, two games, then they lost the bowl game to Tennessee this past year. So three games total. And they've been so good that feels like a crisis point right now for Clemson, even though it's not. What would mm-hmm. it take this year for that fan base to start second-guessing Dabo's approach what level of I I guess failure for Clemson would it be where they come in and say yeah this isn't cutting it anymore 
I think if Florida State or somebody else takes the ACC championship from them, I think with Florida State building under Mike Norvell, I think maybe there's this uh, – maybe there's a tad of anxiety from Clemson fans that Florida State might take over the ACC once again and not relinquish it like they did you know, for 20 years prior to Clemson's run. And I think that you, if you're Clemson, you want to stay on top. You don't want to give up the reins, especially – to a program like a Florida state. Now it's one thing for Pitt to rise up and win the ACC or a Wake Forest to rise up and win the ACC for a year, because you know, they're not going to stay there. But if Clemson opens the door for a program like a Florida state, I think that could spell trouble for them. Josh, just final point on Clemson. Like, so I talked a lot last year about the fact that they had two players taken in the entire NFL draft last year. That blew my mind. They did though, have two players taken at 28 and 29 overall in this past draft. And mm-hmm. when you compare that, they had three in the top 46 and 21, three in the top 33 and 20, four in the top 40, two in the top 12, four in the top 58, going all the way back to 2016. I don't, are those days over? That, that's really what we're judging here because that's how they stay up there. When you think of Bama, you think of Clemson. Now, if you think of Bama, they're second on the list. I think of Georgia and Bama. And Clemson's a notch below for the first time in a long time. Yeah, that I agree with that. And that's kind of what I was getting at. I don't think Clemson is a is on a slide, but like you said, they're they're outside of that top tier that they were in yeah. just two, three, four years ago. And they were in that top tier for a while. So I think to answer your question, are they are they slipping? I don't know. We got to ask Cade Klubnik because he mm. sure looks like he's ready to put up big numbers. I think the quarterback play at Clemson has slid just with their record. But my biggest concern might not be Cade Klubnik, but the weapons around him. Does Clemson still have the running backs and wide receivers that they were recruiting about four or five years ago where Dabo was building? And yes, they did have a quarterback to go with it, but they had elite weapons on the outside as well. And that's kind of my concern. But I am a big believer in Cade Klubnik. Follow Josh on social at Josh underscore Newberg on three sports is where you can find his great work. National host for the network there. Josh, always great to have you on, man. Great perspective and insight as always. Absolutely. Love talking with you guys. Thanks, Josh. Chat soon. Appreciate Josh you. Newberg. Um, yeah, Clemson's a great storyline for the offseason. I think it's uh, Clemson being a relic of the past is a headline I'll be following but all year because one of the future guys at coordinator chose Clemson. Yes. And I'm not talking about system now. I'm talking about Dabo and how he runs the program and can that work in this new age of transfer portal, players having more autonomy, yeah. players calling the shots in some instances, which isn't always great for the sport as a whole. I've argued that for a while, but that's where we are. Can this work? I think it's a fascinating case study. And if it does work, some coaches that are at some power programs may try to do the same. Plenty of uh, headlines to to dive into throughout today. Bronny James chooses USC. We'll hit that over the, the next, what, half hour or so of the show. Also, uh, Robert Sala continues to motivate players by being brutally honest. Can't wait to discuss this with you, Chad. And when we come back, we give a cheers to Yeehaw Brewing Company. That's big week here in Nashville. Massive. That's next here on Hot Mike. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... 
Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. What a location it is. Yes. Never a dull moment no. here at Sixth and Peabody, Hutton. Oh, Never, And, and ever. this week is right up our alley. The Craft Brewers Conference is going on. We consider ourselves craftsmen of sorts. Well, kind of, of what we do with the, mic- with the microphone. Not craftsmen. We're like craft sports host. You know, not. Oh, I thought you were gonna say we're full, connoisseurs of Yeehaw beer. Yeah, we're not. You know, like a Bud Light. You know, we're not the full brand. Also, our our stock isn't falling like Bud Lights. Yeah, we're, we're more up. craftsmen when Always it comes to sports. Always raising the bar. Always raising the bar. Yeah, we're. You know, we get it done. That's what we're saying. Same for Yeehaw Brewing Company and uh, Andrew Felty is in studio with us. Uh, great title, best title in the company, Director of Specialty Brewing at Yeehaw. Andrew, great to see you, man. Hey, great to see you guys too. So what is up with the Craft Brewers Conference? Because there are tons of people here uh, that started, what, Saturday or Sunday, and it's going on all week. Yeah, so essentially Craft Brewers Conference is kind of our industry's uh, biggest meetup for uh, seminars and classes, uh, educational networking, and also kind of a a way to get together and talk about the pulse of uh, of the industry. Is this one where it's invite only? Or if you are someone who wants to get into this profession, you could sign up and come to this conference. Yeah, so it's recommended that you be a Brewery Association member uh, to be able to get the uh, best pricing on being able to attend. But, um, you know, not only do we have craft brewers here from around the country, some of which that aren't necessarily part of the BA, but we also have various retailers um, that, you know, purchase craft beer or have an interest in craft brewing uh, attending as well. So you guys have, what, four facilities? Yep, four brewing locations. And you've got 20 beers on tap this week. Uh, Yeah, 22 actually unique different beers. 22. And... What, so how many new ones are on tap just this week solo? Yeah, I mean, honestly, about 75% of our taps are completely different uh, and uh, unique, brought in just for uh, the CBC week, including beers from all four of our brewing locations. Yeah, so we... How we, many people, by the way, are watching or listening right now that were either planning a trip to Nashville or already coming down that are now thinking, I'm well, glad that I'm coming down this weekend because I had no idea this event was happening throughout the week. Well, I mean... Uh, can you imagine? If From all Taylor the, Swift the Swifties. to this conference is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's nonstop. So we've, each day, Chad, we are going to pick out two of the beers that are on tap and give a taste test. I've got the Leah or the Lee. And then Davey's going to do a keg stand with those beers. But it's the Leah. Every day. Right, Andrew? Yep, the Leah. And oh, we're going Leah Chad, first. And Chad, you went with, uh, you also selected the lager. Is that right? The catfish? No, the Pilsner. Which one did you go with? I put a, um, a straw in mine to make sure that it wasn't roofied. Because I know Hutton likes to put oh, roofies in my Car- drinks. So. You have the Carolina Classic. That is the American No, lager. we both got the same things. We're going to go Leah first. All right, cheers. So we're cheers so to what Leah. Are we drinking we're going to taste this. Can you cheers. explain the beer that we're tasting? Yeah, so this is a real fun beer brewed at our Knoxville, Tennessee location. This is our Tennessee Farm to Tap beer. That is fun. So it's brewed with 100% Tennessee-grown barley and also uh, 100% Tennessee-grown uh, raw wheat. Okay, the Leah, I'm telling you right now, the Leah, if you want to drink a beer before you go to work, this is the one to drink. This is uh, referred to as a table beer. Table beer. Right? Yeah, and, and essentially that means that it's pretty low in alcohol. It's meant to be uh, uh, consumed in, a, in decent shared moderation. Shared with friends. Yeah, shared yeah. with friends around yeah. the table, if Famous you will. Stuff. That's crisp. If, if I may say, it's got like a, 
Uh, oh, please seltzer, tell me the tell me the notes that you feel taste. to it. Am I right? Yeah, it, it's actually funny you say that. We kind of call it our beer spritzer, if you will. It's only Is about three percent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's only about three uh, percent alcohol content, and it's a little citrusy, uh, very light bodied. So yeah. Chad, the, the negative one sommelier uh, for us here yes, on the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm getting a sense of uh, maybe raspberry also in the back in the backdrop, the All back right. notes. Oh, well, you got a heck of a palate then. And, this uh, is um, – so the next one we're trying, this is the – You have the American Lager, which is the Carolina Classic okay. Lager out of Greenville. Yeah, and, uh, you know, this is really cool. Um, we have four beers on tap from our Greenville, South Carolina location, the first time that we've ever brought – beer from that location to Tennessee, uh, all in the name of Craft Brewers Conference. And Carolina Classic is a, uh, right, uh, a lager brewed with a lot of grain grown in South Carolina. I love that one. This, um, this is what an expert would say about this, like me. Yeah. This tastes like beer. <laughs> like if you, like if you ask to run a note down, it tastes like, like an this, American lager. Well, it tastes, yes, it tastes of America. Yeah. Well, Chad, we call that beer-flavored beer. <laughs> yes, thank you. This is, what, what, what notes am I getting? It tastes like beer, but in a good way. Right? Like, if you want to drink a beer and watch the game, We're two down. this would be the one I would go with. And I, I like the description of the table beer that's got notes of honeydew if you're going to enjoy a nice meal with, with friends and family. Two down and 18 to go throughout the week. you got to love your job, don't you? Yeah, I mean, weeks like this make it pretty special. And obviously, there's a lot of work that's gone into this. But, uh, you know, we definitely get to enjoy the, uh, you know, fruits of our labor. And you know, for Matt over here, he wants to enjoy the not beer menu. He can have the fruited cider or the blackberry lemon seltzer. Something for everyone. And the fruit seltzer all is a, a, a staff favorite. I, I can here. second that. Well, okay. this is a Chad favorite. So, leader in the clubhouse for me is hey. the um, Carolina American Lager. Yes. I got that right. Yes. Chad. Both good, though. Cheers to uh, Yeehaw Brewing Company, the Craft Brewers Conference. It's going to be a big week. We're glad to be a part of it and uh, thrilled to be a part of it daily here at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Headlines when we return. Thanks to Andrew Felty for joining us in studio. Delicious. <laughs>